Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello there, thank you ever so much for tuning in to this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm Toby Milden, and today I'm joined by Cameron Malik, who is the Chief Executive of Disability Rights UK. I met Cameron years ago because we used to live in the, the same part of London, and he ran a, a disabled persons organisation uh, in the local area. But he's gone on to bigger things. Uh, he now heads up a, a large disability rights organization so Cameron it's uh, great to see you again how are you doing hi Toby really good to see you too I'm well thank you cool so Cameron can you just let us know a bit more about who you are and what you do and you know what you've done in the past sure um I'm delighted to who am I it's a big question um so I I was uh, I came to the UK when I was about six years old I was born in Pakistan and uh, came to the UK really because I caught the polio virus when I was a young boy. And uh, my parents kind of came over a lot for kind of treatment reasons, medical reasons. And uh, so I've had all my education and learning in the UK and created my career in the disability rights movement. Uh, It's something that I kind of fell into. I wasn't really ever thinking that's what I wanted to do when I was growing up. My dad was in the banking world and I always saw myself going and following his footsteps as many children follow their parents' footsteps. And uh, I remember doing a bit of work experience in a bank and had the worst week ever of sorting checks into alphabetical order. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's how old I am Um, when people used to manually sort sort checks. So that put me off for life going into banking. But yeah, so I, I found myself uh, working in the disability rights sector and have been there ever since and um, something that's close to my heart. So what what is Disability Rights UK for those of us who haven't heard it? So Disability Rights UK, we are a uh, not-for-profit organisation or charity, goes by different names in terms of the sector that we're from and we are a um, campaigning and influencing organisation here in the UK what we're trying to do is bring about rights uh, for all disabled people to make sure that our human rights are real and that we that we enjoy those human rights and um, and that we create a society in the UK that's truly inclusive for all disabled people. What's unique about DRUK or Disability Rights UK is that we are what's referred to as a disabled people's organisation. And what that means, fundamentally, different to other organizations is that we are led by the lived experience of disabled people in in the country so that means that our board of trustees have to be 85 percent or more disabled people and at any given time more than 50 percent of our staff are also disabled people so really everything we're doing and the way we speak and what we talk about is from our own lived experience cool i think that's great because one of my good friends is um Baroness Jane Campbell, who is prolific in the disability rights movement. And I know that, you know, she's drummed it into me, the saying nothing about us without us. Yes. Um, So I think, you know, it's great that disabled people's organisations are run by disabled people, you know, for for disabled people. Yes. And Jane, of course, is an ambassador for Disability Rights UK. I know her really well. Uh, She's been a, a lifelong campaigner. Cool. 
So, um, Cameron, like, what are some of the latest disability inclusion matters that that you are aware of, and and that DR UK is thinking about in the workplace uh, lately? So, at the moment, I think what's really in the forefront of many people's minds is as we have all had this global pandemic and as we have been in many most countries many countries and most of us have lived a life in lockdown working from home working remotely but also experiencing loss of employment so uh, kind of redundancies happening as a result as businesses have had to um, uh, kind of close for periods of time we have become incredibly aware of as we come out of the pandemic how businesses are kind of creating this new idea of kind of the new normal, uh, the way that we're going to, to, to learn what we've learned during the pandemic and during the lockdown. So I think, I think there's a number of things. One, the first one is we're conscious that in order to create inclusive workplace, organizations need to be look, thinking about um, how they go about their business. So we don't just revert back to this idea that everyone has to be in the office it's proven. It's kind of like being a big experiment, hasn't it? It's been something that we, as disabled people, have been saying, this idea of being able to work remotely, to work more flexibly, that fits in both in terms of the business need, which is important, but also in terms of kind of someone's health uh, needs as well. So what someone can can do day to day. It's really important that businesses are thinking, well, what have we learned? And in order to create this new normal, um, this hybrid working uh, that we may go into what does that look like and I always think that the best way to find out what that should be is to involve the very people that we're talking about so you mentioned nothing about us without us so just thinking about that for business to be really thinking about how do they engage with staff who are who have disclosed themselves as disabled people to say well what works for you um, and what how can we enable you to be a valuable member of our team and a contributing member of our team. And no one can tell you that better than those individuals themselves. So we're thinking about those kind of things, but also about some of the challenges that individual disabled people are talking about around returning to work and some of the risks um, with COVID still around. Um, so we're obviously thinking about that as well. So what are some of the concerns that disabled employees are are telling you about? So disabled people are naturally uh, nervous about uh, the risk of still being being at risk of catching the virus and what may happen to them, uh, even though many disabled people have had the vaccine, certainly in the UK, but you know around the world, we're hearing more and more people are being vaccinated. But despite that, there's a, just a sense of nervousness. And so often it can be the commute from your home to the place of work that can be seen to be of a higher risk for an individual. It can be it's often a perception, even if the reality may be different. But it's a it's a perception that's really real for those in, for an individual. So that's that's part of the risk. The other risk that disabled people are talking to us about is being in kind of um, open plan type environments where there is lots of people, where it may be difficult to distance yourself from others. If you depending on certain impairments, you may not be able to distance yourself so if you imagine you are blind it can be quite difficult to know how far you are from someone and it actually really relies on other people being very conscious about that that there are both the risks of getting to work and then some of the way businesses might be structured uh, physically 
Yeah. I think some of my clients have expressed concerns around cliques being formed in groups and out groups that there's going to be some people that are eager to get back to the office, other people that would rather work from home, whether they have a disability or not. But what that means is that people that would prefer to work from home might be left out of the loop in information and decision making. And so these kind of in-groups and out-groups are going to be formed. And it might be that those that go to the office are more likely to get promoted. And I think that's one of the concerns that my clients have have certainly talked about. And I mean, have you have you come across that in your in your travels? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think those points that you raised, Toby, are really, really true and valid. And so I think it's down to leaders to make sure that they really uh, tackle these issues head on. And again, talk to the individuals who, who are feeling this way about how do we ensure that doesn't happen? Leaders should be thinking about how do we use technology to overcome some of those, those issues, the barriers, so we don't have these cliques. People aren't just favoured because they're physically there, but they're, you know, you're promoted, you're um, supported based on how you're performing, the work that you're doing, the outputs that you're creating, the outcomes that you're achieving, rather than physically are you in the building. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think another area that employers tend to overlook is um, people who are disabled by association. So, you know, they could be uh, the parent of a child with a disability, for example, and they themselves might be a bit hesitant in returning to work um, because they don't want to expose themselves to any risk uh, and take it home with them. Like, have you, what are your thoughts around that? I agree. I, I, absolutely. So we, you know, we heard a lot, didn't we, during the pandemic about how whole families were isolating because they had somebody in their family. So one individual, often a child or a younger person who was the one who was actually at higher risk of worse outcomes of catching the virus. And so the whole family would take that decision and therefore companies, businesses and leaders need to be sensitive to that, need to be aware of it. And again, it's about creating kind of an open conversation and normalizing this conversation so that it's not down to the individuals to constantly have to raise it with their line managers, but that it's a, it's a conversation that we're all having. I often compare it to how, if you think about how the conversation about mental health has changed uh, just over the last five, 10 years, it's, there's been a dramatic shift in how we talk about the, this idea of, you know, that we all have a mental health and it's it's kind of we're getting to a point where it's becoming normalized to talk about that and have an initiative. I think I want disability to be the same. It's a normalized conversation. Yeah. One of the questions that I encourage my clients to ask every member of their team, um, including disabled and, and non-disabled staff, is um, you know, what is stopping you or slowing you down? Because it's it's really about identifying the barriers that people face. And then your job as a line manager is to try and remove those obstacles so that people can thrive. And I think it's a really good question to ask because you don't have to have a disability to have any barriers. For example, you just might not be a morning person um, and getting to the office for 8.30 in the morning doesn't set you up well for the day. But if you had some flexibility in when you can start your working day, you know, you might actually perform better in your role whereas I know you know there are disabled people for example who struggle to access public transport and again having some flexibility in 
when they can start their day is it makes a huge difference to to their performance i think it just means that we can all just perform to our maximum and get the best out of ourselves and the business benefits because people are performing at the highest level that they can and i think you're absolutely right and in our in our world we talk about something called the social model of disability which is exactly what you described was this idea that it's not my disability or impairment or health condition that's stopping me it's from these ideas of these barriers so whether it's physical barriers people's attitudes or perceptions about what someone can and can't do and how we should be fitted into some existing model yeah so cameron what what are your thoughts on intersectionality well maybe people can't tell from the audio but i'm asian and so intersectionality is is really important because without it i can't really talk about who i am because i'm not just a disabled man but i'm an asian disabled man and so therefore my experience of the world is a combination of the fact that of my disability and people's reaction but also of my color mm. and so i always think about people as a combination of everything so my experiences are different to your experiences uh, as a white disabled man and you know a black disabled woman's experience will be different to mine and we we'll, we will all experience these barriers that you talked about the inequality and discrimination based on all those different features about us um, yeah and so i think you can't take disability out of that it is part of it intersectionality is what, what what we should be looking at and thinking about and so what do you think employers need to be particularly aware of when it comes to intersectionality uh, especially the intersection between disability and other other characteristics or identities well i, I always think you should look at it as a whole and not try and pull those strands out often businesses will talk to us about you know we're we're tackling gender discrimination or gender inequality this year and next year we're going to do some other one and then we'll get to disability in year 3 and i just think that it's just the wrong way to do it because how are people who have multiple identities that you're dealing with going to be experiencing that because it's very hard for me to think about myself as just an asian male in the uk because that's not just who i am and i never experienced life just like that and so you have to combine and actually what we found and what i always find is that when you start looking at the barriers that those people with different identities experience there are so many overlaps um so the 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 feeling of being excluded because you're a woman or because you're a person from a particular cultural background or you're a disabled person the end result is the same and so that's the things that you're tackling um yeah i think it, it helps us expand our thinking when we think intersectionally so for example if an if an employer is has got a, a really thriving lgbt network for example and they're organizing an event if you think intersectional then you know you can start to think well actually there might actually be disabled people that want to come to this event because they themselves might be lgbt and are we being inclusive of disabled people you know like you know i i often i i talk very openly and publicly about my intersections you know i'm i'm white disabled and gay i'm also introverted and actually 
you know, I, I, I've talked quite openly about how I don't find the LGBT scene in London particularly inclusive. You know, Soho is not a very accessible part of London. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the bars are inaccessible to wheelchair users, for instance. And so, you know, we can start to think about how can we be more inclusive and in a business way, we get economies of scale. It's like, like you were saying, it's like a lot of organizations say, okay, we're, we're really focused on women in leadership right now. And then we're going to talk about ethnicity next year. And then the year after that, we're going to do mental health and mindfulness. And then we're thinking of doing disability. We might do something about the oceans. We're not sure yet. <laughs> and it's like, well, actually, but if you think in an intersectional way, you can actually get a great, great economies of scale because you're thinking about the whole human experience in the workplace. And like you say, using that social model of thinking, thinking about the, the barriers that people face in trying to navigate the workplace and eliminating those is probably the right way, the right thing to focus on. I think, I think absolutely. Kind of that thinking has developed over the last five, 10 years, exactly that this, the, the idea of intersectionality is, is the one that we should focus on. And you, you, you're, you know, as you were saying, if you if you're running an event for um, women, you, you have to remember that there will be women there who are disabled women. There will be women there who are from different, multiple kind of identities that they bring with them. And so, you would fundamentally exclude people just by not doing that. You, you, you're going to leave people out. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that we've talked about previously is how to give disabled staff space to talk in the workplace how, how how do employers do that so employers employ kind of lots of different uh, tactics so we're currently working with some nhs trusts that are setting up ambassador programs so disabled staff members who will become ambassadors both for other disabled people within the nhs trusts people they can go to and talk to about their experience or about any issues or problems they might be having with line managers or the way things are being done. So ambassadors, there are lots of organizations and businesses that have staff network groups mm. where there is open conversation. So disability, uh, disabled staff networks. And, and, and then you also have the idea of creating kind of champions at senior levels who effectively become the champions for a particular issue or a set of issues. And so there are, there are kind of lots of different things you can do. And I, I just think the more we start talking about these points, so not waiting until disabled people raise the issue, but actually we as leaders saying, we're going to talk about this issue within our um, team meetings, within our staff work groups, so that it, we're starting to just create understanding and awareness amongst everybody uh, this idea of kind of normalizing the conversation through whether it be staff networks or staff meetings you know whichever method you choose to use having the conversation is is kind of what we often say yeah absolutely so before we wrap up this interview this is of course the inclusive growth show and uh, so what does inclusive growth mean for you so inclusive growth to me is organizations and businesses not leaving anyone behind benefiting from the wealth of experience and that diversity brings to their organization that kind of different levels of thinking based on people's lived experience driving their growth 
So not leaving anyone behind is what inclusive growth would mean. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Not leaving anyone behind. Yeah. I think that's really well put. Before we go, Cameron, like, um, how, how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you further about disability rights or learn more about what Disability Rights UK does? I think the easiest way to contact me will be through LinkedIn. So if you just search for me, Cameron Malik, on uh, with LinkedIn in Google or search engine and uh, contact me that way, send me a note. Uh, that's probably the best way. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Cam, for joining me today. Uh, it's been lovely to catch up with you. And thank you for tuning in and listening to my conversation with Cameron today. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed it and there's lots of things that you can take away and apply in your own organisation. Um, until the, the next time, uh, I look forward to catching up with you again. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.